Good morning, Duck fans. It's 28 degrees and clear outside in the Emerald City. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and this is Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy. This is your daily one-stop shop for news, info, and updates on Oregon Ducks Athletics. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Also, on Apple Podcasts, leave five out of five stars. If you don't think I get five stars, leave five out of five anyway, and tell me why in the comments and we'll get it fixed. You can find the show page on Twitter at LockedOnDucks. And you can send questions to hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag AskLodPod. All questions and comments will be read on the air, so I look forward to talking about them with you. Now, on to the action. We're heading into the Combine next week, and there are seven of our Oregon Ducks have been invited. We talked about Justin Herbert yesterday. In fact, in the next few days, I'm going to be talking with the hosts of Locked On NFL, Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at BD Peacock and at Williamson NFL. We're going to be talking about Justin Herbert, so make sure you stay tuned for that. First up today is Jacob Breland. Breland is six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Graduated from Trabuco Hills High School in his hometown of Mission Viejo, California. He was a three-star recruit per twenty-four-seven Sports Rivals and ESPN. At the time he was recruited, he ranked number twenty-five in the nation. Played a lot of wide receiver in his senior year, bringing in 61 receptions for over 1,000 yards and 11 touchdowns. He was recruited by Oregon's Tom Osborne, who's our tight ends coach and special teams coach. When he came to Oregon, he was six foot five and only 220 pounds and redshirted as a freshman, perhaps to bulk up since he weighed in, for, in his actual freshman year at 240. He played in 11 games in 2016, where he had six receptions for 123 yards. As a sophomore in 2017, He started in 11 games, played in 12, had 18 receptions for 320 yards, and 5 touchdowns. He actually led the team that year in big plays with 7 catches for over 20 yards each. As a junior, he started 10 games, played in 12 of them altogether, 24 catches for 377 yards and 2 touchdowns. As a senior, he was actually having his most prolific year yet, a real breakout season, when he had a season-ending knee injury. But in those six games he played, he had career highs with 26 receptions, 405 yards, and six touchdowns. In fact, over his career, he actually averaged over 16.5 yards per carry, which is pretty good, especially for a tight end. In his whole career at the U of O altogether, he played in 41 games, had 74 receptions for 1,225 yards, and 13 touchdowns. When we talked about Justin Herbert yesterday, we talked about how difficult it could be to play for three different coaches with three different schemes. And I really think that's going to apply to Breland. He had a very similar experience. And as a result of that, I think there's going to be a lot of untapped potential there. And when he did finally get comfortable in a system and started having a breakout year, of course, he had the knee injury. You know, there, there are some common themes among the draft analysts out there. As we get closer to the combine, I'm going to talk about the good and the not so good to start with. He appears to have good timing on his routes, arriving at the catch point when he's supposed to, uh, which is, you know, indicative of the fact that he gets schemed open pretty, pretty well. He does have decent top end speed. 
when he's schemed open, he works really well. He's got great hands, long arms, and good length, which gives him a significant catch radius. I mean, the consensus is this guy can pull it down from just about anywhere. He tracks the ball really well when he's in space. He has good concentration and can catch the ball through contacts. Like we said, he's a very physical player, always able to climb up and pull it down, even through contact. Throughout his career at the U of O, he's been very versatile as a tight end, lining up in the slot, lining up as an H-back, even playing, of course, a traditional Y, and occasionally at fullback, and even put out wide. And the consensus is that he's tough, very physical, always fighting for the ball, using his frame and size to get in position for successful blocking. You know, he doesn't give up quick when he's blocking. And some of the not-so-good, he was injured last year. But, you know, he, re he recovered from it, and he's going to be going to the combine. That's going to tell us a lot. He gets too focused when blocking and overcompensates. And despite knowing how to use his size, he lacks the strength to really manipulate a block target once he's engaged with him. Widely considered to lack athleticism, and especially in terms of being a dynamic route runner. The lack of quickness and athleticism that we keep talking about, that lack of explosion really leads to some lazy angles on routes and if he can't get schemed open or be catching the ball when he when he and despite having a decent high gear he lacks the kind of explosion and quickness that is necessary to create separation he also has trouble getting past the intermediate areas when he's held up by linebackers and he's this big guy who can catch the ball when he's schemed open but and i love this term above the rim see he's very capable of pulling it down when he is unable to disengage from a tackler. Ben Solak from the Draft Network pointed out that his lack of lower body mass and strength is actually like a significant contributor to his inability to win blocks and even adding that Breland ought to be considered a, for the wide receiver position. After watching the tape on him, not only with his highlight reel, but I think the Colorado game shows a variety of talents and drawbacks. He does lack the athleticism to create space. He does really well when he's schemed open. His size and length give him this huge catch radius that he uses to make up for that lack of breakaway speed that we were talking about. I think the observation about using him as wide receiver is a pretty interesting one. But being bulked up to 250 pounds and with the strength and lunch pail work ethic... He's really, I think, better used as this gadget, versatile tight end who can line up anywhere. In the right scheme and with the right coaching, I think he certainly could be a good starter and number one tight end. But I think he could also just play a significant role as a great number two, who could be used in various positions, including going out wide for blocking on a screen. Uh, he lined up frequently as an H-back and and with the increasing prevalence of this position in the NFL these days, I think he could do really well in, you know, 12 personnel sets. The Combine is going to give us a chance to confirm a lot of these suspicions about his athleticism. But he appears to be a very smart player. And if, from what I hear, the way they coach people up leading into the Combine week, we might actually see some surprises. There were some murmurings about him going in the first round before his knee injury last year. I even heard about him going at number 23 to the Patriots. And this seems like a pretty good move, knowing what we know about the Patriots' tendency to find diamonds in the rough. He's never going to be a Gronkowski, of course, but he could certainly help their tight end woes. And on the one hand, be developed into a solid number one, or at worst, work his way around that formation as a versatile number two tight end. I chatted with Mike DeBate, host of Lockdown Patriots. 
He can be found on Twitter at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C. He thinks Breland would be a good fit from, for the Patriots. He added that if the Patriots did take a chance on Breland, then he'd be most effective in their passing game where they have significant needs. He also said that the lack of productivity from the tight end position last season means they definitely need an upgrade. Mike also said that his toughness would appeal to Coach Belichick and McDaniels, but that the technical flaws and Breland's need to get stronger could likely set him up as a depth player in the immediate future. He did remind me that the interest in Jacob Breland is speculative, but he does have a lot of appeal. All right, we did talk a little bit about Jacob Breland. I hope you liked the introduction. Coming up next on Locked on Ducks, we're finally going to talk about Calvin Throckmorton, who we brought up on yesterday's show but couldn't get to. And then after that, we're going to talk about more new hires for Ducks football. Welcome back. I'm Jordan Long, and this is Locked on Ducks. We just finished talking about tight end Jacob Breland, and as promised, we're going to talk about Calvin Throckmorton. I do want to remind all the basketball fans out there that we got a lot of good stuff uh, later in the week as we're going to be previewing the men's game as number 14 Oregon goes on the road to play Arizona State Thursday at 6 p.m. Then on Thursday, we're going to preview Friday's game where number three Oregon women's team is going to go to Berkeley and play the Cal Bears. Then on Friday, we'll review the Thursday game and so on. So there's there's plenty for the basketball fans out there ch- kind of chomping at the bit to get through all this draft stuff. Calvin is six foot five, three hundred nine pounds. He went to Newport High School in Bellevue, Washington. He's you know usual three star prospect and top ten in Washington. Uh, consensus among twenty four seven Sports, ESPN, and rivals. He has a heap of accolades at the high school level, where he was a four year defensive line starter. He had offers from up and down the West Coast, pretty much the whole Pac twelve, and he ended up going with Oregon after being primarily recruited by Steve Greatwood, who was back then the offensive line coach under Mark Elfridge. Oh, as, as a side note, uh, when I talked about Tom Osborne earlier recruiting Breland, I meant to add that he was tight ends coach and special teams coordinator when Breland was recruited. As a freshman, Throckmorton started all 12 games at right tackle, played over 90% of the offensive snaps, In all that time, he committed one penalty and allowed only two sacks. He actually ranked 12th of all tackles in the Pac-12 that year, according to Pro Football Focus. This kid was Pac-12 all-academic first team every year he played. You know I'm, I'm always smitten with the smart ones. As a sophomore, he started in all 13 games, playing 10 of them at right tackle and 3 of them at right guard. He played 97% of snaps in 2017, not allowing a single sack. That year, he was graded number four overall among all offensive tackles by PFF. In 2018, as a junior, he became the only FBS player to start in four different offensive line positions with six starts at right tackle, five at left tackle, uh, starting at center one game, and starting another game at right guard. And according to PFF, he was also the top graded offensive lineman that year in all the Pac-12. And up to this point in his college career, he's allowed only one sack in 31 games, made 38 consecutive starts, and played 15 games without committing a single penalty. Going to talk a little bit about the good and the not so good, and then review his draft stock a little bit. The good is that he plays well on the edge and on the inside. In both positions, he's pretty good at it. He's good at getting anchored, getting his feet set, and he's really powerful in small spaces. He has sort of a forward-facing explosiveness, understands how to handle double teams. He's a legit talent, a true talent that could play a flex position. He has the intelligence to play the different positions. He's quick to identify targets, but 
he's not only smart, but instinctive and anticipatory as he's He's able to redirect when the defender tries to change angles on him. The not so good. He lacks flexibility and good balance. Stiff on his hips, leaning forward. He plays with a high center of gravity and has trouble winning through leverage. He apparently struggles a bit in the second level, but the length serves serves him well when the second level comes over the top. His relative explosiveness, his quickness, uh, means that he actually shoots kind of early sometimes. And even though he keeps his hands to the inside and has a nice stiff movement, he has difficulty maintaining the blocks with the strength of his hands. His center of gravity is too high to engage the lower half of defenders in blocks. And he really is kind of a, has these lumbering movements that kind of means he should stay at the guard. He's not as good in open space. During the senior bowl, Calvin actually wasn't planning on attending, but... He got the call, I guess, on Tuesday afternoon because the South team was so shorthanded at the offensive line. He played for the South, and by the end of the game, they were actually down to five offensive line, and he got a chance to show his play at the tackle position and at the center position. Ironically, most of the analysts are saying he's a much stronger guard. You know, we talked earlier about working in tight spaces and how he can be a bit of a lumberer on the outside. With the Bengals coaching the game, it was interesting to hear what uh, assistant offensive line coach said about Throckmorton. He's a genius, he said. He knows the playbook better than all of us. You know, I guess that could be not so praiseworthy coming from the Bengals. But still, I mean, Bengals.com writer Jeff Hobson said that Throckmorton was the solution to the depleted offensive line in that game and suggesting that the Bengals could really use a guy like Throckmorton. And as you listeners know, I'm always harping on the importance of protecting a new quarterback. And you know that what's, that's what Cincinnati's doing this year. In fact, after the Senior Bowl, no one should be surprised if the Bengals trade down for Herbert and then draft a strong guard like Calvin Throckmorton later in the draft. That's going to wrap up the draft talk for today. We talked a bit about Jacob Breland and Calvin Throckmorton. Now we're going to be talking about Cooper Patagna and Please let me know on Twitter at the Dustoff Guy if it's pronounced like the Italian Patania. The latest coaching addition to Coach Cristobal's staff. Oregon has been ranked first in the Pac-12 and in the top 10 nationally for the last two years in a row. And currently they're first place in the Pac-12 and 12th in the nation in recruiting overall. The recruiting program took a big hit when Dante Williams was lured away by USC. In addition to being a darn good cornerbacks coach, Williams brought a lot to the table for recruitment. There have been some unconfirmed Twitter chatter on Dante Manning transferring to USC. As far as he and his Twitter are concerned, though, Manning's not going anywhere. On that stuff, it's just best to wait for the facts. Coach Patagno worked last season at University of Washington under the title Director of Player Personnel. They had the 16th best recruiting program in the country and the second best in the Pac-12 behind you-know-who this year. In early January, last month that is, he tweeted out a goodbye to Washington. So maybe he knew this was coming or was planning on leaving and then uh, committed to Oregon, but... In his tweet, he said it's sad to say that his time at UW is at an end. He's grateful to have worked with so many humble and talented people. Go dogs! 
Before Washington, he worked as the director of player personnel for Michigan, where he... And we're going to take a quick break before we find out what happened to Cooper Patagna at Michigan. When we come back, we're just going to spend a few minutes wrapping it up. So talk to you in a second. And welcome back. Like I said, we're just going to take a couple of minutes and wrap it up early today. So before Washington, Patagna worked as the director of player personnel for Michigan. He helped them sign the eighth best class in the nation and the first ranked in the Big Ten. 24-7 Sports, Sam Webb interviewed Jim Harbaugh's communications director, J.T. Rogan, back in 2017. And here's what he had to say about Cooper Patagna. And with Cooper Patagna, really highly respected evaluator of talent. He's drawn NFL interest, has drawn interest from other colleges, so there's an element of us being fortuitous to have him. He's a really promising young mind, and what he won't tell you is just the amount of time he spends evaluating talent on a weekly basis. But walk-ons, every position, evaluating them, and then also putting in a new structure and implementing that. And then managing people to get the tape that he needs to watch to make the evaluation. Because it's not just enough to watch a highlight tape or to watch a game tape. You need to watch a variety of skill sets. And then he knows what he's looking for. First of all, that's pretty high praise from, you know, Coach Harbaugh's staff. But it sounds like as a young director of player personnel, he was very diligent and dogged in watching tape and investigating recruits. I, I, you know, you, you tell me, it almost sounds like a demotion going from player personnel at University of Washington down to recruitment manager here. But in any case, I think it's a really big win for Oregon. In fact, Patagna actually coached at Cincinnati, LSU, and Alabama as well. We're seeing some of those Southern elements, I think, creeping back in. That's kind of a theme we've been talking about as Coach Cristobal rounds out his staff, kind of further reinforcing how much Coach is worried about losing the West Coast to USC, right? Because if he was worried about Williams going down to USC and losing West Coast recruits, he wouldn't be stacking the deck with uh, talent from the South and the Gulf Coast. Patigna actually started his career at Alabama, where he oversaw the day-to-day operations of the recruiting department. He actually worked with Coach Cristobal down there, and their recruiting program was ranked number one in the country. And actually, that's when 24-7 Sports named Coach Cristobal himself the recruiter of the year. So this is almost a happy reunion for the two. I think it's a really smart move on the part of Oregon. I think it means great things to come. And we're certainly going to be getting back into the top 10 nationally uh, in our recruiting program as we're currently 12 looking out, uh, on the outside looking in. That's going to do it for today's episode. Going to cut it a little short here today. Remember to follow the show on social media at Locked on Ducks. This is Locked on Ducks, and I'm your host, Jordan Long, and you can find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy. Stay tuned as we're finally going to get to talk basketball tomorrow, and we're going to continue prepping for the NFL Combine next week. Please subscribe and follow the show, and send all your questions and comments to hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag AskLodPod. Thanks again, have a great day, and go Ducks!